0: Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for this particular part of your word. Although many of us find songs and poetry challenging to understand and to see how it applies to our life, we pray, Father, that you would indeed open our minds and our hearts, not only to understand this wonderful love song and poem, but how it ought to change our life, whether we are married, single, single whatever relationship status we are, we pray that you will teach us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, winter sport is over for another year, and I have to say the Minchinbury Jets under nine soccer team did amazingly well, and their coach in particular was (laughs) in fine form in 2018. Although I was a reluctant coach at the beginning of the season, being one of only two dads that turned up to registration day, the other being Jeremy Swin, who kept his hands very well beside himself. I actually really enjoyed coaching the under-9s soccer team this season. I'm really looking forward to presentation day in a couple of weeks' time. Now, at the start of the soccer season, uh, as a coach, I had to sign a coach's code of conduct, which I was very happy to do. And as I saw the code of conduct, I noticed that there was also a parent's code of conduct. And if you've ever been to children's sport, you might understand why there needs to be a parent's code of conduct. Let me read to you three of the bullet points of the parent's code of conduct and see if you can see what they have in common. First bullet point says this, I won't use bad language, nor will I harass players, coaches, officials, spectators, or anyone on the field. Two, I will give positive comments that motivate and encourage continued effort. And three, I won't criticise or ridicule my child or another child's performance after the game. Did you see what they had in common? They're all about how a parent uses their words in relation to the game. How they speak to their own child, how they speak to other children, and how they speak to other parents and officials and spectators there as well. There was an old saying that said, ''Sticks and stones may break my bones,'' but words will never hurt me. Hmm. But those of us that have been on the end of a sharp insult know just how much words can actually hurt. Hmm. You won't amount to anything. You make me sick. You are the worst. I don't know if you've ever heard those words spoken to you or to somebody else, but it's horrible, isn't it, and degrading. But long before there was a soccer parent's code of conduct, Solomon also knew the power of words. The power of words to create, the power of words to crush. In Proverbs chapter 12, Solomon says, There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words actually have power. To hurt or to heal, to create or to crush. And in Song of Songs, chapter 1, we also find wisdom from Solomon for the way that we speak, particularly to those who are closest to us. But in Song of Songs, chapter 1, it's slightly different to Proverbs. Solomon's wisdom here comes in the form of poetry and song, but it nevertheless teaches us wisdom for our words and the power of our words. Last week we introduced the series called The Love Song, The Song of Songs. And it was my view that I presented last week, and I still believe it, that Solomon wrote this song. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 1 says that he did. And his purpose in writing this song is to give us a picture of what true love looks like. And that true love is simple, monogamous, faithful, passionate Garden of Eden love. Now, we know that Solomon didn't know this love innately. He had to learn it the hard way from having 700 wives and 300 concubines and learning that relationships can be dysfunctional, but there is a better way. And he learned that way and he wrote this song about a married couple, a lover and a beloved, who lived this pattern of true love from the Garden of Eden. Now, you may have noticed that as Ness and I started to read Song of Songs, Chapter 1, there was no gentle introduction. There's no backstory of who this husband and wife are, who this lover and beloved are. How did they first meet? What was their first date like? When did they get married and what was their special day like? There's no introduction. In fact, the song just launches straight in. Oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. <coughs> Straight into a passionate plea to be embraced by her husband. She is in deep love with him. And a climax is excused upon in verse 4, where she longs for him to take her into his chambers. And she calls him her king and just wants to be in his presence. And their friends encourage them to do just that. We rejoice and are glad with you. We will praise your love more than wine. As I said, Song of Songs. It's a unique book of the Bible. that celebrates love and intimacy between a husband and his wife. Now, it's not that their backstory, their love story, if you like, is unimportant to Solomon. It's just that Solomon has a different purpose in mind for this song than just telling a romantic love story. He wants us to focus on, as the readers of this song, on how they express their love. Not how they came to be together, but how they are living now in a loving relationship. And what I want you to see, as I began this morning, is just how they use their words as an expression of their love for one another. Their words. And it's interesting, as we look at the way the wife speaks. Particularly in verse 5 to 7, the first part of her kind of self-reflection and song is that she actually speaks negatively about herself. There is a deep sense of doubt and insecurity that she feels. I have a look at verse 5 to 7 again, where the wife says, Daughters of Jerusalem... I am dark like the tents of Kedar, yet lovely like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, for the sun has gazed on me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me a keeper of the vineyards. I have not kept my own vineyard. What she's saying there is as she looks into the mirror and sees her appearance reflected back, she is disappointed with what she sees. She says to her friends, my skin, it's just way too dark. You know, if my brothers didn't make me have to work outside with them in the hot sun, I wouldn't be so dark and and suntanned. I wouldn't have coarse fingers from pruning the vines. I would be beautiful. But don't stare at me because I'm not beautiful. Now, every culture has different standards of beauty for many people today, being suntanned and outdoorsy, is a picture of beauty. But in ancient Israel, it wasn't. She says that she likens her body to a vineyard, but one that she has neglected. Unlike Queen Esther, who had lots of time to have pedicures and put on perfume, she's too busy outside in the vineyard pruning the vines and picking grapes. She's filled with doubt and insecurity, and her words to herself are quite negative. But I doubt she was the first woman or the last woman to ever feel insecure about her appearance. Uh, Often before Ness and I go to a a wedding or to a party, uh, Ness will ask me the question that every husband dreads. (laughs) Does this dress look good on me? And I get a nervous twitch every time that question is asked because gentlemen who are married, you know there's no right answer to that question. If I say, no, it doesn't look that great, then she does feel even more insecure and does takes longer to get out of the house. If I say, darling, you look amazing in that dress, she doesn't believe me. And she will change and do what she wants to do anyway. Does that ring true to anybody else's experience? And then there are the conversations, the many conversations I've overheard in my house where women get together, conversations about hairstyles and fingernails and toenails and bra sizes. And some them are like, hello, I'm still in the room. It's awkward for me, but it's completely natural for others. Particularly women, because they're naturally talking about their appearance and often because they feel insecure and want encouragement from others. Now, it's not just women who are insecure about their appearance, are they? We probably know gentlemen who spend probably way too much time in the mirror looking at their hair, <laughs> trying to find that one shirt that will make them look amazing, Julius. We know what it can be. Why? <laughs> We can all feel insecure about our appearance or our ability. And if it's not checked, it can become a barrier to our relationships. If you are single, for example, and if you feel insecure about your appearance or you feel insecure that nobody likes you and nobody loves you and wants to be with you, it can lead you to pull back from relationships, to distance yourself from other people. But in fact, that can make it worse, and you feel even more alone. At times, it may even lead you to start a relationship with somebody who doesn't appreciate you, somebody who doesn't share your same values, somebody who may even hurt you because you think that that's all you deserve because you're unattractive and not worth anything. That's not true. Don't believe that lie. You are precious. And if you are married, your insecurities can also lead to a barrier in your marriage as well. It can cause you to be less vulnerable, less open to share, particularly with your husband uh, or your wife, and they can lead to this uh, erosion of intimacy in your marriage as well, physically and emotionally. Negative self-talk, words of doubt, can become a barrier to intimacy and relationships. And maybe you know that. So what's the solution? Well, long before contemporary psychologists talked about the power of positive thinking and encouragement, Solomon knew of the power of encouragement, the power of words of adoration. And I want you to see it specifically this morning in the way that the husband addresses his wife, the way the husband uses his words to restore any or revive any sense and renew any sense of insecurity and doubt that she has about herself. And, gentlemen, I think there is a lot that we could learn in how we talk about the women in our lives, and not just our wives if we're married, not just our fiance if we're engaged, but our mothers, our sisters, our daughters as well. Have a look at verse 9 through to verse 11 and then also verse 15. This is how he speaks. I compare you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are beautiful with jewellery, your neck with its necklace. (coughs) We will make gold jewellery for you, accented with silver. And then Darren, how beautiful you are, my darling. How very beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Can you see how he responds to her words of doubt with words of adoration. Now we must remember that standards of beauty, as I said before, can change from one culture to another. So don't get too hung up on the idea that he calls her a big horse. Um, Horses, they are beautiful animals. They are incredible animals. When you think of black beauty and you think all the great horses, they're incredible animals. And Pharaoh's horses in particular were often dressed immaculately. And he just sees her like that, a picture of strength and beauty. And he's working really hard, can you see, to make her feel beautiful because she doesn't feel beautiful. Three times he says, you are beautiful. Verse 8, verse 10, verse 15. And remember, he's not some smooth talking creep trying to get into the pants of the girl that he met at the pub. He is talking about his wife. His wife. And responding to her doubts about herself with wonderful words of adoration, trying hard to make her feel beautiful. And he uses lots of metaphors from creation, horses and doves and others. But do you notice what he never compares her to? He never compares her to another woman. Never. He never says, Honey, you are just like the concubines in Solomon's palace. Or you're just like the swimsuit models on Instagram. He never (laughs) says that. And I think that's really important for us to remember. Men, please never compare the women in your life to somebody else, to another woman, either in real life or on the internet. She already feels insecure about herself. It will only make it worse if you say, I just wish you were like whoever that might be. Men, it's our job to praise the women in our life for who God made them to be, not who our world thinks they should be. This lover knew that. For him, his standard of beauty was his wife not some other standard. So for me, at the moment, I'm into 38-year-old Anglo-Indian women, five foot one and a half with three children, (laughs) and her name is (laughs) Ness. And she's stunning. She's my standard of beauty, not anything else. And if you are married, gentlemen, your standard of beauty... Is not some woman on the internet, but the woman standing in your laundry, looking back at you with eyes like dogs. And notice that his words of adoration work, they actually build a sense of intimacy. Have a look at verse 12. She responds While the king is on his couch, my perfume releases its fragrance. My love is a sachet of myrrh to me, spending the night between my breasts. My love is a cluster of henna blossoms to me in the vineyards of Engedi And then down in verse 16, how handsome you are, my love. How delightful. Our bed is lush with foliage. The beams of our house are cedars and our rafters are cypresses. Now, we don't know if her words of doubt had built a barrier in their relationship as a married couple. But that barrier has been torn down by the end of chapter 1 because of his pursuit of her, particularly with his words of adoration, because the love that the song just exploded with in verse 1, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, that's exactly how the chapter ends, except they're outside this time. Embracing each other on a bed of leaves underneath the pine trees in the forest. Let the reader understand. Words are powerful. Words have power to crush. Words have power to create. And whether you are single or married, if you are a Christian, you know that to be true. That words have power. To create or to crush. The very first words of the Bible were, and God said, (coughs) let there be light. (coughs) Words have power to create. And we also know the beginning of John's gospel as Jesus entered the world, the word that created everything in the beginning became flesh. Flesh. And made his dwelling among us. And his name is, of course, Jesus. And even though, as Isaiah prophesied, many years before Jesus would enter this world, that there was nothing in his appearance that would attract us to him, or incidentally, nothing in our appearance to attract him to us as well, he still entered the world as the word. And he pursued us. And he loved us died for us and rose again for us. And as we learned a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 5, when? Whilst we were still sinners. Friends, you may have heard many crushing words in your life, words that others have spoken to you, words that you may have even been speaking to yourself. But please hear this word this morning, that in Jesus you have someone that can take you from being crushed and he can recreate you into something glorious. He can restore your relationship with the creator of the universe, a word that has power to renew your entire life. And if that idea is new to you this morning, I'd love to talk with you more about how the words can transform your life. If you'd like to talk more about that, write it down on your Engage card. I'd love to get in touch with you during the week and share just how this word can do a great thing in your life. And if you have experienced the powerful, renewing, adoring, creating words of Christ in your life, then you now have a power with God's Spirit living in you to mimic, to echo to follow the example of God's loving words to you in the way you speak, particularly to those that you are in relationship with, intimately. Words have power to crush or to create. So let's apply this directly to us today. Let me talk to the husbands first. When was the last time you complimented your wife? either her appearance or her ability, when was the last time you made a positive word of encouragement to her? Many men find this difficult. There was a song many years ago where one of the lines went, you say it best when you say nothing at all. And the women in our life say, no, say it all. Or just say something. Something. Make me feel special. Uh, CJ Mahaney has wrote a book on God, love, sex and marriage. It's uh, on the bookstore, I think, as well. And he says directly to Christian husbands, before you touch your wife's body, touch her mind. Why? What he means is encourage her. Say something that will build her up and make her feel special. Now, you don't need to be literally like the lover here in Song of Songs. Maybe don't call your wife a big horse. But still be creative. Still be, Write her a love song. I know Tonga did that recently. That makes me do embarrassing. <laughs> write a love letter to your wife. Now, we often write birthday cards and things like that to each other. Just write a letter out of the blue. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Put the time and effort in and you might just discover how good it can be. Wives, when was the last time you complimented your husband? When was the last time you had something positive to say about your husband? Again, you don't necessarily need to call him the king, although if you want, I'm sure that would be okay. (laughs) Be creative again. But how often do you speak positively about your husband? Uh, Because I have noticed over the years that sometimes when wives get together in particular, they often talk disparagingly about their husbands, about what they're not doing or what they wish they would do. And and there might be a time for that. I'm not saying there's never a time for that. There may indeed be a time uh, for that. But if that's all you do, wives, when you get together, is talk about how bad your husband is, I think the balance is wrong. Your husband can be just as insecure as you. And he really hates it, particularly when he hears you talking about how bad he is to others in public don't do it, don't do it. But he loves it when you compliment him publicly. He feels like a king. If you're in a, a dating relationship, and I don't know if that's anyone here, but some of you will have children who are in a dating relationship or will in the future, here are some words of encouragement for you. It can be easy for the physical side of a relationship to take over. And other more important aspects of a relationship can be just left to the side, emotional connection, spiritual connection, and that can lead to some serious problems later in your relationship. So let me encourage you, if you are dating or you have children who are dating, encourage them to use their words in a powerful way. Teach and encourage them to talk and to communicate Not just about the mundane things of life, but (laughs) the deeper things. Your values, your thoughts, your beliefs, your feelings. If you are dating, maybe send a text message to your lover, your beloved, each day saying, can I pray for you today? Build that spiritual and emotional togetherness You don't need too much practice on the physical kind of stuff. Like We've been around as humans for a long period of time. We kind of know how that works. But the emotional and the spiritual connection takes time and takes effort. And if it's not built upon from the very beginning, it can lead to an erosion of intimacy in time. Now, a word to all of us, whether we are married or single, dating divorced, separated, widow or widower. Ephesians chapter 4 says that we are all to use our words to speak the truth in love, to build one another up. Who is here today that you can say an encouraging word to? Maybe there's someone here who is feeling the pressure of this sermon series and needs a word of encouragement from you to say thanks for being here, I know it's hard. Maybe you could be that source of encouragement today. Maybe you know somebody who's struggling with grief or loss or stress at work or at home. Maybe you could speak an encouraging word to them today. Maybe you could offer to pray with them today and not just for them later and be a great source of encouragement to them. Because just imagine before we all went home later this morning, if we actually did this, if we all spoke a positive word to somebody, can you imagine the difference that could make to somebody? Even if somebody's not in a moment of stress or turmoil right now, nobody knows what life is going to throw at us tomorrow or in the week ahead. And your simple, costless, Word of encouragement today could be just the anchor that they need to get through the week ahead. Words have power, both to crush but also to create. Use your words to create. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your powerful word. That you brought this entire universe into being through your word. And Father, we thank you that your word became flesh, became human, and lived amongst us to show us how personal, compassionate, generous that your word is. Father, we thank you that whilst we're still sinners, Christ died for us to bring us back into relationship. For those of us that have enjoyed and grasped hold of that great word, Father, help us to use our everyday words to create, to renew, to build others up, particularly if we are married with our husband or our wife, with our children, with our parents, but all of us with the complex web of relationships that we have. Father, may we be known as those who deeply love one another, especially with our words. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Now friends, we're going to transition into a time where we remember that the word became flesh and died ever and